Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to Tuesday afternoon on Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company. As uh, we kick off the afternoon with the call, 10 stocks that you've suggested we have a look at and uh, I put them to an expert panel and uh, today's panel, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Scott, good afternoon to you. Gosh, good day. Good to be with you, mate. And our travelling vagabond, uh, Mark <laughs> Morland from Team Invest. Last week he was in Seattle. This week he's uh, in Boston. Uh, great to have your company uh, market is it cocktail hour in Boston? It's actually uh, just after nine pm. Oh, so okay. We, we've, 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 we've done cocktail hour already. Right. Okay. <laughs> Aperitif, aperitifs. Um, I'm, I'm still oh, here. Excellent. <laughs> uh, we'll be joining you in a couple of hours. All right. Uh, good to have you aboard, and thank you for taking time out from your, your touring to join us. Uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, before we get into your um, stocks that you want us to have a look at, I choose a stock of the day, um, a stock that's in the headlines. And boy, is it in the headlines, this one. thought I'd take a look at Crown Resorts in the headlines again as the uh, Victorian Royal Commission tables its inquiry into the casino, describing its conduct as disgraceful, deeming it unsuitable to hold its Melbourne casino licence going on to say it was uh, shorthand to describe conduct that was variously illegal, dishonest, unethical and exploitive. Uh, But the company was found to have already taken steps towards reform, so it will be allowed to operate for the next two years under a special manager, which will oversee all operations. If at the end of that two-year period, the regulator is not clearly satisfied, Crown Melbourne is suitable to hold a casino license, that license will be cancelled. So um, what does it say for investors uh, or potential investors in Crown? Uh, Scott Phillips, um, what's your view on Crown given this outcome? Is it, does it make the, the future any clearer for Crown Resorts? Uh, Koshi, yeah, it does. It, it must do by definition because on the range of outcomes where everything from everything's okay, through to you guys are losing your license and it's all over. No one really expected the latter. Um, This is the equivalent of a a copper pulling you over and saying, now you're driving too fast, but if you promise to try not to drive too fast over the next couple of years, you can keep your license. It was a pretty much, look, it was a big deal. It is a big deal, but the market expected it already. Shares up about eight or 9% already today as we speak. And that is the sigh of relief from an ASX that says, you know what, We, we sold off on the risk that things would be worse. Turns out our worst fears aren't are unfounded so we can get on with running the business i you know it's hard to hard to hard to really see any other outcome was likely i, I am a little bit surprised by the jump today i don't know too many people are betting on crown being literally turfed out of the casino with all of the frankly political economic uh, job issues that would have caused whether it should be or not it's a different question but no surprise that it wasn't 
Um, I don't know this makes it a great investment, though, Koshi. The question we've got to ask is how sustainable are the level of profits from the past, given that allegedly, I think we still have to say that, but uh, maybe not, allegedly uh, there were some things doing being done wrong at Crown. If you take that away, in theory, the company makes less money. So, I yes, investors should be happier than they were this time yesterday or, or even a couple of hours ago. Whether that makes it investable at the current price, I'm far from sure I, I wouldn't be buying it. Okay. All right, Mark, we're taking away the ESG filter uh, from this because if you put an ESG filter over it, you wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. But from an investment point of view, um, you know, people say, oh, gee, you buy good companies when they're, uh, when they're being smashed. Uh, is this a case when you, when you buy a company? Uh, well, I think in, in theory, that's that's a good idea. I mean, if it's a quality company and something is, has gone wrong or it's something that's um, transient, then I totally agree with that. But Crown has had a long history of underperformance. I mean, the, the last time it actually looked good uh, from a team invest perspective was back in 2014, where it was actually had some earnings growth and uh, it was at a reasonable PE and actually looked pretty good for about a year. Right. And then it dropped <laughs> since 2014. It's been a steady downhill slide of minus 23% per year average drop in EPS. And then it sort of fell off the cliff in 2000 and uh, from 2019 to 221. So it's been downhill all the way. So why? So let's assume that the current negative, because it's losing money at the moment, so it's making it's, it's actually a loss-making business. There's no no PE. Uh, let's assume they get back to earnings prior to that. So they go back to their 2019 earnings. Um, it's still on a very high PE, and the return we can't even calculate a return on it. If I actually, if I, if I came back, if I put the figures in from two years ago and then said, what's a reasonable PE for very lackluster growth? Uh, it's paying a reasonable uh, dividend. It's pay, it pays out. I think uh, what percentage is it paying out? Um, it's paying out. Uh, I lost it. Can't even work my own uh, filters now. Been away too long. Uh, I can't even see it. Sorry. So it was paying out a reasonable, um, reasonable dividend, and yeah. So that's a that's a plus. But I don't see why you'd touch it. It's it's it, the the share price at the moment is actually not that low, considering its earnings results, which are terrible. So the high over the last ten years has been uh, thirteen thirty two dollars, and it's now nine sixty six, and the low was eight twenty two. So it hasn't been punished by much, and as um, Scott said it's actually gone up today based on the uh, the less bad results that they can still continue trading over the next couple of years. But uh, there's no way a team investor would be interested in touching it. And in fact, when we looked at it in 2014, it failed very categorically based on not not the e um, the uh, e ECG, e ESG ESG yep. top measurements, but just on the fact that it's gambling and most of our members are want to invest in things they're comfortable with and they don't want to be part of uh, promoting gambling. But that's just a personal choice. Right. Okay. All right. Let's get into our uh, first dog. Uh, Jihad wants um, a view, Scott, on Frontier Digital Ventures, um, mm. saying that, that Motley Fool did analysis of it earlier in the year uh, at around $1.42. has done very little over a growth period. Um, that period for a stock currently sitting at around that $1.45, $1.50 mark. Uh, can you ask Scott from uh, Motley Fool what's their current position on the stock? Of course, it's in the online classifieds business. Uh, it does yeah. sort of the equivalent of car sales, REA, Seek in developing um, nations. Um, Scott, what do you think of Frontier? 
Yeah, nailed it, Koshi. This is an interesting business, a really high risk business. Let's be very clear, both as a company and as an investment. The idea here is if you plant enough seeds in enough different places and a few of them sprout, you'll do well. If a lot of them sprout, you do very, very well. If none of them sprout, you're going to lose money and possibly a lot of it. So that is the serious range of outcomes. I don't say that flippantly. That's the reality of the business that they're in. As you say, they have a really, really good template. It's really nice to be able to say, hey, we've seen this movie before. We know what the, the potential can be. We understand the economics. We understand the drivers. If we can go and find a way to build these sorts of businesses in markets that are as yet untapped or underdeveloped, then there's big, you know, it, someone will do it at some point in those countries, in those verticals. We'll say verticals, I'm talking about you know, car classifieds, uh, jobs, real estate. Someone will do that in those countries. And Frontier's saying, well, hey, it might as well be us. And if we take a portfolio approach, we might do well. So that's all true. And that all still remains pretty sound. I will say for what it's worth, mate, both on this program, on the call, and for The Motley Fool in general, we don't make short-term share price predictions. So whether the price was now 70 cents, $2.50, or still around the $1.42 price yeah. that we talked about earlier in the year, we wouldn't have a different view unless the business had changed. So there's nothing in the share price that tells us anything over that period of time in my, in my book. Uh, we like it every bit as much as we did. I should say, by the way, there's also no house view at the Motley Fool. So it's not a personal view of mine. It was one of the other members of the team. I happen to agree, by the way. I really like Frontier. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really good business and one that has really good potential, but it's very much at that high-risk scale. But yeah, no reason to dislike it. We would love to have gains on the shares. Of course we would, because we all like making money. Um, but the promise is still there. The long-term promise is still there. The price is roughly where it is. So we like it every bit as much, um, hoping to see some traction, of course, over time. But no reason to be taught anything by that share price movement since then. Okay. Uh, Mark? Yeah, well, um, we oh, Team Invest wouldn't be interested in it because it doesn't make any money. It's actually it's been listed for uh, six years and hasn't made a profit yet, from what I can see. The, its only redeeming attribute is that its sales are growing at about 46% a year. So since 2017, it's levelled off a bit. But overall, the sales are going up. But unfortunately, the earnings have been going in the opposite direction. So they've, as sales have increased, earnings have gone down. I'm not sure whether there's acquisition costs in um, businesses they've bought in some of these other developing countries or whether it's uh, money they're investing in those places to build a business. I don't know because I don't know the business at all. Uh, but it's an unfortunate graph. Uh, but as I said, the only redeeming attribute I can see is that it, its sales are growing, which means potentially, eventually, it might start making some money. But I have no idea about that. Yeah. Um, because, Scott, what it does is it develops these online businesses, usually in a, with a local partner, don't they? And uh, mm -hmm. um, they have sold a few and made some capital profits on it as well. Yeah, it, it's a real, that's what I mean. It's really a portfolio business here, Koshi. They're trying to take relatively limited capital and go and deploy it as many different places as they can. Obviously, they want all of them to win and fingers crossed for shareholders. If they do, the company's going to be worth a whole lot more. And that's why this is very speculative because frankly, we've seen this story before. I have to say two businesses, iProperty and iCar Asia, both tried it to kind of mix success in Asia. So it's it's worth saying, you know, there, there is... Well, we know we can, it's, it's very easy to say, hey, look what Seek have done. Look what CarSars has done. Look what REA has done. If they could just do the same, they'd be worth a fortune. That's the upside. The flip side is plenty of others have tried and failed to replicate the model. So it's absolutely not a, a guarantee. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's a lot of ticket either. It's somewhere in between there. You could lose a meaningful amount if none of them work. If this is simply too early or they get beaten to the punch or those markets develop differently, they won't. we've seen CarPoint go by the wayside. We've seen a dozen job uh, online job sites try and knock Seek off, yet have been unable to. Uh, domain and REA exist, but no, there's no real third player. So 
you know, just because you've seen the story doesn't mean you can make it happen. Yep. And we absolutely should be mindful of that. As you say, Koshi, they sell some, they close some, they merge others. It's very much, a, you've got to believe in the portfolio story and the management quality. I wouldn't be personally hooked on any one country or one vertical or one business because they will absolutely make changes as, as circumstances yep. dictate. Absolutely. Uh, Mark, Danny wants a view on Medibank Private, the private health insurance group uh, has two brands, um, Medibank and AHM. Um, what do you think of Medibank Private? Uh, Bit more conservative than Frontier. Uh, yeah. Just, just a tad. Um, it's not an exciting company. I, in my my view of Medibank is I would call it a mediocre company. Um, it's not going to go broke. It's very consistent. It's a major player in uh, health insurance. Uh, private health insurance particularly is difficult because it's very regulated. Um, the We 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 like NIB, uh, which is um, NHF, uh, is I think a far superior business and is actually better value for money and providing a higher return. But look, there's nothing wrong with Medibank other than it's on a PE of 21 and it's had negative EPS growth of minus, minus 2% a year average over the last six years and sales which is gross revenue has been growing at 1.7 so it's this is not even keeping up with inflation and the right. earnings are below inflation and they have been losing um young, particularly younger uh members because of the uh, cost and uh, you know the, the value proposition i suppose for younger people private health insurance is getting more and more expensive and the way the whole thing's structured is the young basically have to subsidise the old, which is hardly fair, but that's our socialised uh, medical system. So I, I wouldn't be interested in it, but it's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that we're showing a return of about 1.3% per year average over the next five years, which is hardly uh, worth getting out of bed for. Yeah, and it's a yeah. classic case. If you're, if you're investing in 20 or 30 stocks, even though it's a, a good conservative business, you want stocks that, that provide a better return for you. That's right. Well, they, yeah, they've got a good return on equity as well, which is about 23%, which is which is good. But look, it's just not good enough, you know, yeah. to uh, you know 1.3% a year. And even if you say, oh well, uh, even, let's say they uh, their earnings flatten out now and they stop going down backwards, you at least get the dividend, which would then probably bump you up to 6% or or something like that uh, per year, which is better. But it's still not the 15 to 20 we look for as a yeah. total return. Yep, Scott. Yeah, can't disagree with anything Mark said. I'd, I'd love to have a point of difference, but on this one, I really can't. I also like NIB more than Medibank. And for the reason, ironically, that I like the, the health insurer NIB because it's largely not a health insurer, or at least the growth business is not in health insurance. So yeah, they're doing a better job of Medibank in the health insurance business anyway. They're attracting newer, better customers. They're doing a better job with their marketing. They're smaller, so they get to grow, right? And sometimes if you're in a mature industry, it's a real challenge. Look at Telstra. It's a real challenge to be the big dog in a slow growth industry because others are nipping at your heels. Aussie Broadband, for example, to go back to, to Broadband and, and to Telstra. When you're when you're Medibank Private, you are the big dog. This industry's not growing. It is regulatory. Effectively, the, the profit is regulatorily capped because the health minister has to approve any premium increases. And if you start making too much money, the health minister says, hang on, I'm, not, I'm going to wear the political heat here for passing on a cost increase. Why would it if you're making a fortune already? I'm not stupid. No way in the world. And so, you know, you don't have margin expansion opportunities because if you get them, they get taken off you by the government in terms of smaller increases. It's a really tough business. I want to say the government, by the way, I'm talking apolitically here. Both governments or yeah. both parties will do exactly the same thing. Um, I like NIB because the growth comes from a little bit of health insurance in terms of market share, which is great. And then largely the everything else business that NIB has. So, yeah, if you're the biggest in a, in a 
in a tough industry, slow growth industry, where the health minister signs off your price increases. That's a, I wouldn't say it's the worst business in the world, but as Mark said, good, good returns on equity. But if you yep. want to find growth, you're just not going to get it. Almost by definition, you're not going to get it there. They might as well be a telco. They might as well be a, a regulated utility, quite honestly, um, with yep. the sort of returns you're going to get. So at a better price, maybe. Um, but many banks just know it's 22 times earnings. Um, a decent yield, 3.6%. So again, decent return on equity, decent income. You might grab it in an income portfolio to diversify away from the banks, for example, if you wanted to. Throwing some franken credits, you're at 5%. So that's that's something, um, but I wouldn't be buying it now. Yeah. yeah. Don't want to be in a business that's a political football and private health insurance <laughs> like, like power costs, energy costs is a political exactly. football as well. Exactly. Um, Julia, Scott wants a view on Quorum Group, software development mm. Uh, business in point of sale uh, and pharmaceutical dispensing software. So a tech yep. business that's really quite a narrow focus, is it? Super narrow focus, super small business, Koshi. The market cap on this is under $50 million. So it's not a space we spend a whole lot of time, mostly because as a, as a subscription advice business, if we recommended a company this small, we'd just simply move the price too, too meaningfully either way. So haven't spent a lot of time on this in the past. I have had a look at it. In a former life, I did work for a, a company that supplied pharmacies. Uh, so I know the software a little bit, actually, as it turns out. It's a decent enough business. It has got a really interesting niche. It's a relatively profitable niche. It's a niche that realistically should continue to do pretty well for it. Because if you're doing dispensing, it's very, very hard for a generalist, generalist software provider to come and take your business away. So that's good for them. It kind of is a, is a mode of sorts. If you're in a, a small enough niche, no one's gonna come and try and knock you out because you're just too small to bother with. That also means, unfortunately, you can't grow meaningfully either. So they're kind of stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea there, which, as I said, if they can do it profitably, is actually a nice little niche to be in. You just can't expect much in the way of growth. The problem with Quorum at the moment is it's 40 times earnings. And I don't wow. know, I, I, I may be missing something in the upside. Potentially, there's more on the plate that I'm seeing. But I have to say, when you're in that niche, you want to be running it for cash. You want to be sucking out as much as you can for shareholders. Again, really perfectly good business to be in and a great way to go and do it. Uh, it reminds me of business like SDI, for example, or even Dicker Data. When you're a small business, niche is only so big. So go and you know, run it for cash. Go and do it really, really profitably. And Corum are doing a pretty good job. The problem is at 40 times earnings, you're just not going to make a whole lot of money out of that from here. It'd have to do a heap more to justify that sort of PE. So I just I just can't. I, I said, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe Mark's got more insight on this one than I have. But I can't see why you'd be paying that for a business that is a great little business, but destined to remain little. Yep. Mark? Yeah, Scott's very positive on it. I'm <laughs> a great little <laughs> It's uh, return on equity less than 5%. Um, it's, it, you look at the sales and earnings over the last uh, 10 years, and it's, it's all downhill from where it started off. So it's, it's not performing well at all in a niche market where they should be strong and it should be profitable, but they're not, they're not, generating, uh, they're not generating any earnings growth at all, really. And, you, and as Scott said, at a 40 PE, you'd, ex, you'd be expecting at least, say, 20% EPS growth per year or something. And it, I'd be generous if I said it's flat. And it's been totally flat, really, for the last uh, six, five years. Totally flat. So there's no, no growth in innings that I can see uh, on a very, very high PE. Now, what that relates to then is your return. And then we're showing it returning negative 7% per year if it continues doing what it's doing based on the 40 PE. And that's giving it a more realistic 15 PE in five years' time. So if the PE comes back to anything that would be reasonable for these, this, this type of company it is, then uh, you're going to be losing money every year. Okay. All right. 
Uh, Todd Mark wants a view on Clinavel uh, Pharmaceuticals, a biopharmaceutical company, uh, delivering treatments for patients with genetic and vascular disorders. Um, last financial result had a good bump up in, in profits and revenues on this uh, drug that's targeting light sensitivity. Yeah. Yes, now we know this business very well. It, it does pass all of um, Team, NS, Team Invest Builders, mm -hmm. and we've met with management a um, few times. The, actual, the, the CEO is actually based in uh, Switzerland, I think, or Austria. So um, he, uh, we've had a couple of um, video calls with him, yeah, with members. Ah. But uh, it's on a high PE. It's on 80 times, but it's got 59% EPS growth rate. Now, this is a, a company that has what's called an orphan drug. So they're very, very focused on uh, one product, which you could argue... CSL was too, <laughs> yeah, particularly in the early days, less so now, of course. Um, but it's been growing very, very well, and the market likes it, but its earnings, as I said, are running at about 59% per year with quite with reasonable stability. That's over the last six years, and sales are growing at 39%. I think the treatment costs about 30000 or something. So it's it's subsidised in Europe and the US, which are the two markets they're in. I'm not even sure whether they're covered by Medicare in Australia. I don't think so. Um, so we're showing it uh, returning... Um, up to 50% a year on our default settings and about 10% on a margin of safety. So um, it's a, I, would, I would say this is a, a buy if you, um, if you want to have an a, a investment in an um, a orphan drug company that's, that's delivering the goods very yeah. well. This, this disease, by the way, they have their products called Sines. I think it's called EPP. And it's light sensitivity, but it's horrible. So it's like a yeah, it, people who have it, it's so bad they cannot step outside without being completely covered, even for a minute. All their skin just goes you know, right. bright red and inflamed. It's a shocking disease. Right. Okay. Um, Scott? Uh, it, this one's a, a business. I, I'm kind of in the, in the same basket as Mark. It's really expensive unless it can generate meaningful long-term sales growth. And... I'm going to defer to Mark's better judgment in terms of the, their ability to do that. I, I am not personally confident. You look at the numbers, as I said, 80 times earnings. It's a, it, 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 look, it's been po uh, profitable and cash flow positive for a long time. The numbers are all moving in the right direction. The question is how much is it worth and how long can it keep growing for, particularly with patent protection and other things. And as, as Mark says, the subsidization in the US and EU potentially elsewhere. And again, the, the flip side, of course, is potentially it'll lose that at some point or a better drug comes up. So you are... It's not, burning platform is the wrong phrase, but you are working effectively on a business that has a single product, a single treatment for a single issue, and that can be phenomenally successful. As Mark says, CSL is the is the poster child for look. You know, guess what the next act looks like, and that's fantastic. Plenty of businesses, though. I think I think Pfizer is still, I guess, right until this year anyway, um, or last year. Pfizer spent you know 20 years in the wilderness after Lipitor, its cholesterol drug, came off patent because it simply couldn't replace the profitability. Now that's a multi-drug business, a massive multi-drug business, of course. But once one is so big, it does have an impact if you can't maintain that level of profitability, largely because of patent protection or clinician preference. Um, so I, I will, I'll happily join Mark. Uh, I'll, we'll call it a buy. We'll put it on the uh, on the call portfolio if it's not already. But just be mindful that this is one where a couple of missteps may well see the share price plummet. And that might, by the way, be fine. It may well recover. Just be mindful of anything you buy at 80 times earning, the market is expecting a lot. And, and a misstep or, or a disappointment can really send the share price south. So this is one for those with cast iron stomachs. Yeah. And, and Mark, you've had a bit of time with the, uh, uh, with the founder, the chief executive. Is, is the roadmap to to broaden 
the um, uh, the product base. So you say yeah. it's, it's like CSL, it's broadened. Will it do the same, do you think? Yes, that's the, that's what they plan to do. They've also looked at bringing out a like a cosmetic version of this, which actually works very very well for tanning. <laughs> so, ah. but that's a yeah. But then the risk with that is they they've got to be careful because they take they're a serious drug company, and if they get into the aesthetics area, it can undermine their position. So, ah. uh, just one thing I will say though is because it's an orphan drug, they have a lot more protection. So you're not going to get a competitor typically unless because people it costs so much to develop these drugs that when someone gets a viable treatment in in a certain area, it tends to go on you know for for much much longer than it would in like a Lipitor case ah. where when it ran out of pain then everybody else could make it. Right. Doesn't work like that with the, with these drugs. So what happens ah. is the, the the Medicare equivalents won't give the refund. They won't give the support to the other companies that copy it, even when it comes to because they you know, it's it's the way they justify. Otherwise, people won't the drug companies won't spend the money to develop these orphan drugs. And there's there's hundreds of them, right. and there needs to be a lot more. There's quite a lot of things out there that have no treatments at all because no one's spent the money on trying to work out a, 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 a solution for it. But what Scott says, right, ADP is high. I just looked at its historical P range, and over the last six years, the low's been 40 and the high's been 92. Right. So it's currently 80. So it's been on a high P. I would argue that is justified based on its very high EPS growth rate. But Scott's absolutely right. That is the price and the P is dependent on the maintaining their growth rate, which means getting access to other markets and so on for yep. their for their primary product. Okay, all right, Todd. Thank you for uh, suggesting uh, Clinavel uh, Pharmaceuticals. Um, Scott, Kate wants a view on Over the Wire, the telecommunications um, uh, business that's um, only in the last week or so announced that Aussie Broadband is in discussions to uh, make a takeover offer. Um, for them at $5.75 a share. What do you think of over the wire and what would you be doing as a shareholder or as a new investor? Would you be getting into it now? Yeah, Koshi, and that's why these ones are such difficult conversations to have because they can change minute by minute, day by day. Haven't there been a lot of potential takeovers this year where they've been announced and have all of a sudden disappeared, gone by the wayside because due diligence didn't work out? There must have been, I've got to say a dozen or so, even in the you know the ones that we bother talking yep. about, a business that kind of had this have this announcement and then all of a sudden disappear. Um, look, Aussie Broadband's a good business. Over the Wire is a pretty good business as well. Aussie thinks it's a it's a nice business that will actually add value. It's largely, largely a retail company right now, Aussie Broadband, Over the Wire, mostly focused on businesses. And so you combine that together, in theory, it makes Aussie Broadband better. Uh, I'm not sure Aussie wants to be necessarily taking out huge chunks of acquisitions right now. They've got enough on their plate, but management think they can do it. So we'll, we'll give them give them a chance to prove that. The challenge for Over the Wire right now is it's already got that takeover premium in it. Now, maybe the shares go a little bit higher. There is a little tiny bit of room there between the current price and the takeover offer, but that's kind of, to use the old expression, picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. We've seen so many of these takeovers fall over. If you bought it today and the takeover doesn't go ahead, you're going to potentially lose, well, look, you know, $5 share price, maybe 10%, maybe 15%. If it goes ahead, maybe you pick up 5%. I don't know. In my book, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go and you know buy shares in a company to try and get a small upside that may or may not eventuate. It's just not worth your while. It, it, it's a low probability, not low probability, high probability game, but a low return expectation game because I only needed a couple of them to fall over, and it ruins the entire strategy. Yeah. So look, you know, at, at the old price, different conversation. At the current price, 47 times earnings. Now, in theory, that's worth it for Aussie Broadband for the reasons we talked about, right? It gets to take out a whole lot of costs. They get to synergize, to use the expression, uh, their businesses, and hopefully that creates a, a one plus one equals 
two point something type outcome. It's not going to be three or four, but maybe it's more than, so it's probably worth more than Rosie Broadband than it is on the open market. I'm going to assume that's probably true. But if you're a shareholder buying now at the current price, you really have to be doing it only for that takeover premium of, what is it, 5% maybe if you're lucky. Uh, it's just it, it's just a game you really have to be very, very lucky or very, very good to play. I'm not even sure that if you're very, very good, you can still play it well because you're taking the odds on unknowable outcomes. Um, I typically, if I own the shares, I'd happily sell them now, take the money that's on the table, burden the hand and all that. Uh, if I didn't own them, I wouldn't be buying them now. I just don't think yeah. the upside's worth your while. Yeah, uh, Mark, it's interesting uh, because of continuous disclosure when uh, a company's in talks, you've got to disclose it to the market. Often they fall over because then the, um, the uh, offer uh, goes in and does the due diligence and sees all the <laughs> skeletons in the cupboards and go, whoa, well, maybe not. <laughs> That's right, very true. Um, we actually did look at it uh, over the wire a few years ago and put it, put it around the rule over it, if you like, a team invest, and we met with management. We had some issues with management. I won't get into, go into detail on it, but we failed it at the time. So its numbers look better then than they do now. Uh, return on equity is yeah. currently under 5%. And the return we're forecasting based on its current earnings and with the very high PE it's got at the moment is negative 3.7% a year. So. I agree with Scott. If you own it, I would sell it now because it's right at the all-time high ship price, which has been bumped up because of this takeover offer. I think that's totally unjustified uh, for the business. And the, the risk is to the downside. Yep. So okay. it's way too late to consider buying it. All right. Let's just recap the, uh, the first five stocks, including stock of the day, which is Crown and No from uh, uh, both Scott and Mark. Uh, Frontier Digital, I know from Mark, speculative buy from um, from Scott. Uh, Medibank, I know from both in that private health insurance area. Scott prefers NIB. Uh, Corum, I know. Clinavel uh, Pharmaceutical, uh, yes from uh, both of them. Um, it hasn't been in the calls portfolio. It now goes in. And over the wire, a sell if you're in it and uh, certainly wouldn't be getting into it as a new investor. Uh, here on the call, we've been tracking our um, own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stocks like Clinabel um, that get unanimous approval go into the portfolio. Um, let's take a look at how it's been tracking uh, for the week, um, basically line ball. Uh, for the month up just under 3% and since the 1st of July this year up 7% and since inception, which was uh, the 1st of July uh, 2020, up 45%. Some of the stocks recently added to the portfolio by our expert panels, uh, Phineas Corporation, Nickel Mines, Endeavour, BetaShares, Global Cybersecurity ETF and Veeam. Some of the stocks removed, Star Pharma, Alcidian, PointsBet and Samphire Resources. Now you can check out all the stocks and the ETFs in the calls portfolio. Just head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio and we update it each day.
back with the second half of the call and Patrick wants a view, Scott, on 29 metals. Uh, Patrick said uh, bought it on a recent pullback. It looks as though it's got all the right metals in it. It's um, basically a, um, a copper miner and explorer. It gets a bit of uh, gold, zinc and silver as a result of it. They have um, the Golden Grove mine in Western Australia and recently announced that they've done some testing around it and which may extend the life of Golden Grove, which is its its flagship mine. And also they're doing exploration around at Cervantes mine. What do you think about 29 Metals? Koshi, it won't surprise you or your viewers to know that I'm a little bit sceptical, a little bit hesitant about commodities players in general because it does depend entirely on the value of the commodity. Now, to give you a sense of the optimism here, it's valued at 38 times earnings at the same time as Fortescue's on a 20% dividend yield. So you kind of put those together and say, hang on, what's going on here? Now, it's very, very clear that the future of copper seems to be bright and certainly the market expects it to be bright. So you add together the combination of higher sales, maybe higher prices, maybe more exploration, and you get a PE that's almost 40 times earnings for a materials explorer and developer. And that's the key. Uh, you know, that, that's obviously a little bit sceptical, I have to say, of the market's expectation. Not the business itself. They're doing what they can to do their business, and that's great. But when you value it that highly, you're saying, we expect the future to be really, really bright. Or is essentially someone who's digging and putting holes in the ground. Let me give you a flavour of the of the optimism, though, these days. Uh, copper is all the rage, not quite lithium. We'll get to that in a minute. But copper is almost all the rage these days. And even the company themselves, they say, um, capitalising on the role that copper will play in global economic growth, electrification, decarbonisation, and the global transition to a greener economy. Now, those things all may be true, but you have to ask yourself how much of that hope, expectation, belief, faith, call it what you want, the market is pricing in. Maybe it's completely rational. Maybe it's worth paying 38 times earnings. Maybe I'm the deal. Uh, that's very true. It's been, that, been true in the past. It may well be true again. Uh, but I'm simply going to give this one a miss, mate. There's not enough uh, margin of safety here for me. You have to assume a lot goes right. And when you're dealing with a commodity product, it's literally priced by the market, not by the seller. Uh, 38 times earnings is very, very rarely cheap enough to pay and make money. Yeah. Uh, markets... Pretty popular in the market at the moment. It's got a bit of momentum uh, behind it. Yeah, um, it's a, it's only just listed uh, about four months ago. Yep. So we have no history and no report. Their first report will be in December. So they have a December uh, financial year. Uh, I agree with everything Scott said. And 38 PE based on earnings that haven't been released yet. So I assume that's their earnings prior to uh, before they're listed as a private company. Um, but it's still. Uh, uh, Fortescue at the moment is on 3.3. I think Rio is on about uh, 6 or something, and BHP is on 8. So mm. now BHP has got copper as well, and Olympic Dam and so on. Yeah. So if, if you, and there is, uh, the, the dividends that all those three are paying are very significant. This is basically an unknown company, and it's on an, an absurd price. It's, it's without any proven proven results or performances. It's, it's, uh, I would have thought this would have been a short selling opportunity for somebody who was uh, motivated that way. Okay. All right. Uh, Neil, Mark wants a view on integrated research. Neil says, can I get your opinion on integrated? It was a market darling, but since the, the founder moved on, it's been in decline. Should I have bailed out by, by now? It's in mission critical software for, for big corporates. That's a horrible looking chart, isn't it? Um, the last financial year revenue was down 29%. Net profit down 67%. Um, COVID 
according to the company, has really hit the business because uh, they haven't been able to have uh, face-to-face sales meetings due to travel restrictions. And also because of COVID, a lot of their big corporate and government uh, customers have had budget restraints. Uh, Mark, what do you reckon of integrative, integrative research? Sort of not that long ago, it was up around the $4.80 mark, now down to $1.63. Yeah, no, this is a difficult one. Um, it's definitely been a, a company that Team Invest members uh, have invested in. Um, and we've generally liked it. There's a lot, a lot to like about the business. They, th- it's interesting, COVID, for most of the companies that we like, including all the retailers, they've all done really, really well through COVID. IRI is a perfect case of one that really has done badly through uh, COVID. And it was a common, a bit like a perfect storm. They were, cha- they changed their, changing their accounting systems on how they recognise revenue. And they were very much focused on front-loading sales. So they were bringing the whole contract in for the period. And what happened with COVID was that a lot of their contract renewals even um, got shortened. So where they'd normally renew for seven years, they went, oh, we're not sure what's going on, so we're going to renew it for three years. Now, the effect of that in the way they bring the uh, revenue to account meant that that sale was now worth 60% less than what it was, even though it's the same actual cash flow. So their free cash flow has been terrific through the whole process and hasn't dropped off significantly, but their earnings have really taken a massive dive. There was also a question of whether they uh, have slipped behind on um, uh, all the online stuff like Zoom and uh, the conferencing software and so on. Because the, these guys, what they do is they provide critical monitoring for um, for uh, everything from uh, unified communications, which is also call centres, and they've got all the big banks in the in the US. They've got they've got a fantastic client uh, um, suite, and they're all. They've been there for years and years, but what's happened is a lot of them haven't not renewed their contracts with IRI, but they haven't taken out new ones, and they're using the suppliers' monitoring systems. What they do is they just cut a long story short. It's a complicated business. Is basically what they do is they they track uh, to make sure that all the online systems are working correctly and so on websites, all the connections and so on. And then they have dashboards like a control room. So a big company that has multiple things happening all over the world can keep track of what's going on and make sure everything's working. So they integrate it all and bring it down to one control system. And what's been happening is a lot of these companies have been going with the uh, individual companies um, reporting systems, which is then oh, clumsy right. and heavy heavy to do. IRI say it's not a problem and that'll they'll all come back uh, as they come out of this because um, they add a lot of extra functionality to makes the corporate's life easier. Now, you look at all that, you go, well, okay, that's a reasonably good story. You know, I can, I can, I can buy it. So if you look at it and say, well, if I bring the, uh, go, take it back to its earnings pre-COVID, and it was growing, it was, it was growing uh, nicely before that, by the way. So it was consistent growth. It always been on quite a high PE, though. And the PE at the moment is... Um, 38 on the low earnings. So the earnings are down at uh, 4 cents, whereas they were pre-COVID, they were uh, 14 cents. So they're, they're down near three quarters. Um, so if they come back, then the PE is quite respectable and it's cheap. So I, you know, we've got quite a few members have been buying it. Uh, I haven't actually done that. I, I was tempted to buy some at $2 and it's now $1.60. So if I was tempted at $2, I should be more tempted at $1.60. Um, and look, I think, I think it's... It's it's got fantastic moats and it's probably I'd have to say it's a buy. Okay, interesting. <laughs> After all that mumble. Yeah, yeah. No, I know uh, because they're the sorts of and in a market like this at the moment, which is reaching record highs and 
so many stocks are overvalued, sort of little nuggets that might be good management. So you rate the management, Mark, because uh, Neil said since the founder moved on, it's been in decline. Has that made much of a difference to your opinion on on the executive team, or are they still good? Um, that 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 happened a long time ago. Uh, he's right. been he'd been selling down for years because he's into philanthropic activities right. and so on. I think he's still I believe he's still on the board. But the 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 current CEO's ex T and E, as you right. who as you know oh, is one of our favourite right companies. Now. now he was, yeah he was the uh, chief operating officer at oh. T and E, but he was also he'd run. I think he was um, CEO of one of the American um, software companies for the for Australasia before that right. as well. So he's actually okay. very very well credentialed. And he hasn't been there that long. He sort of came in right at the beginning of COVID. So yeah. so we we thought that was a big positive, uh, right. and we know him. So, okay. so I, I do have confidence in the management, and I think they probably are just a bit unlucky in that they they've been caught at a confluence yeah. of timing, yeah. you know, with COVID. It's just really gone against them. Yeah, mm. Scott. It's Innovative Research is actually the very first recommendation we made at the Motley Fool. We opened in 2011, so we've got a storied history with it. We sold it at about a dollar seventy-five three or so years ago, and I look really silly for the last two and a half years as the price went. As you say, gosh, it almost four bucks, maybe even over four bucks. At one point, we actually sold in part because of the fact that Steve Kellaway was stepping away from the business, um, the founder. And that was basically because we've seen the story before of a founder who steps away from a small software business and a kind of founders, uh, flounders, sorry, you know, without the the leadership, the relationships, the the charisma, whatever it is of, of a founder. And that's so frequently the truth, the case. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen, of course. Sometimes business is going to bigger and better things, but we were just a little bit concerned about the trajectory of sales and, and the way the business was uh, losing its, its founder. The challenge, I think, and Mark's really highlighted it beautifully, through a COVID year, the question we've got to really ask ourselves as investors, is this a one-off? Is this the beginning of a trend? Is it the end of a trend? What does next year and the year after look like? Because if you're a long-term investor, you can deal with some pain. This is a $3 stock in, in two years' time. You'd be more than happy to have bought it now, no matter what happens in the meantime, because yeah. uh, you know we're not going to make short-term predictions. But that's the hard question: Is it COVID? Is it just simply a matter of, hey, the customers didn't come back to us? Like Ordinate, Nanosonics, two others in the software space, hardware space, that have been in this situation where they've had customers who simply said, look, not now. We're, either our business has dried up, or we're a little bit busy at hospitals for Nanosonics. Um, you know, is integrated research really struggling with that? Or as Mark said, is there an element of customers simply finding different solutions. If you think about call recording, for example, and look at a business like Dubber, an Australian business that's doing business with many of the Fortune 500 companies in the US, providing not only call recording, but AI on top of that. Um, and as Mark says, IR is reliant on selling its products to its partners. And so when it was teamed up with Skype and Teams, it was doing really well. Now with a lot of the world using Zoom and Zoom having its own call recording, other services, the question is what does IR do in that environment? Does it simply lose customers by virtue of losing partners? Can it reinvent itself? Does it, is it, does it you know, continue as, a, as an ongoing business? That yeah. kind of dashboarding business is an interesting one as well. So, so many moving parts. I'm not as confident as Mark, not that I'm, not that I'm predicting doom and gloom necessarily. Just the question of, you know, is this, is this you know, genuinely a one-off or not? Sales were down 29%, profits down 67%. You get the leverage there. So as Mark says, it doesn't need much of a sales recovery to, to fix the profit fall. A moderate sales recovery probably should add Double digit, you know, 20, 30, 40% to the profit if that gets most of that back. Because this is all, it's software, right? It's, it's built once or largely once, yep. so many times. If you can get those <clears> customers <throat> to come back, it's a good business. So I'm going to, I'm going to call this one a hold. I can't quite get myself to go to buy just yet. It does look cheap if it can recover the past. The question is how much you trust it to do that. I wouldn't look at the share price. Yep. I think it was remarkably expensive at 
$2.53 and $4. At $1.67, it doesn't look too expensive, I've got to say, but I'm not ready to buy just yet. Yeah, it's interesting. We had Ordnate come up uh, yesterday on the call and because uh, mm. uh, it's got a big moat as well, dominates that, that scene globally. Uh, share price smashed because of the chip shortage that they warned the market about. And uh, Nathan and Gorab uh, were saying, oh, it could go lower, but it's one of those stocks if, if you, it's, it's so good that if you wanted to invest $10, you'd invest three now and just see how it goes. If it comes down a bit more, load up again and sort of cover yourself. So I think that's right. I think if you look at Ordinate as a business, the difference with Ordinate for mine is it has a clearly superior best in class system that plenty of uh, partners are working with and, and the likes of the Boses of the world. Um, yeah. You know, the, the audio companies want Ordinate. They're using that product. The fact that sales have fallen off is not a, a, a reflection of people not wanting to use the product or the partners walking away or having a different, uh, a different product, a different competing product. This is yeah. a straight out case of we're not putting more audio systems in concert halls because, hey, COVID, um, I, I, I feel much more confident about Ordinate's long-term future than I do integrated research. Right. Not that I expect integrated research to do badly, but if you put them side by side and say, which one are you more confident over the next five or 10 years will have you know, much larger businesses? Yeah. For me, it's a reasonably easy choice. I'd go Ordinate. Right. Okay. All right. Uh, Scott Soul wants a view on Lake Resources. Um, it's um, an emerging lithium player with a project um, in Argentina in the last couple of weeks. Um, they've got their funding um, lined up to, to actually develop the, the lithium mine. Um, what do you think of Lake Resources, particularly after Mineral Resources shot the lights out yesterday because they said they're going to take a lithium mine out of mothballs? <laughs> it's, it's the raid. I talk, I talk, we're going to talk about lithium in a minute, and here we are. It's, it's a remarkable story. If I told you you could buy a lithium miner losing money, how much would you offer me? If the answer is less than a billion dollars, then you don't want late because that's what they're selling at right now. Yeah. Um, it's worth thinking about these businesses as standalone private businesses. If you if you were, you know, Twiggy Forrest or Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or someone else and they said, look, you've got a lazy billion in the back pocket. Do you reckon it's worth that to buy a, a lithium explorer and miner who's not yet making money? Now, those guys might well say, sure, it's pocket money. I'll, you know, I'll take the chance. Sure, knock yourself out. But if you think about it as a total business, rather than saying, you know, X dollars per share or cents per share, the real question is, would you buy this whole business for a billion dollars? Yeah. And if I had a lazy bill laying around Koshi, I simply wouldn't buy Lake, despite that remarkable looking graph, because this is very much a story of hope and expectation on lithium. I've said many, many times, if you look at the oil price over the 20th century, it went up about two and a half fold over the last 80, 90 years. I can't remember the exact numbers of the 20th century, despite the fact that production and use grew a thousand fold. And the explanation for the difference is simply they found more oil and more oil became more profitable to extract. Technology improved all those good things that meant even though the usage went absolutely through the roof, the price hardly moved in, in real terms. That's my concern with lithium. We, we believe it's part of the future of electrification. Talk that with copper. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more lithium batteries made. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more used. I'm sure lots and lots and lots of lithium will be consumed by the world over the next century. The question is, at what price? From yeah. whom? And what do the margins look like? And if you don't know the answer, you can't pay a million dollars for a lithium miner, in my view. So I'm just going to give this one a miss. Yep. Uh, Mark, five cents to 97 cents in 12 months. It's been a ride. 
Oh well, we, as you know, Koshi, we don't get excited about that sort yep. of thing. That's just that's just that's just the uh, the the I take all it, the all your tax <laughs> traders and all these are trying to <laughs> push you the bus. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I, I totally agree with uh, Scott. I wouldn't pay uh, a, a million, let alone a billion for it. Uh, it's also uh, brine as well, which is the lower quality yeah. lithium compared to our favourite, which is mineral resources, which has hard rock yeah. lithium, which is far superior for uh, batteries. And, and they, it's used on the, more, on the um, uh, Porsches and, and so on. They all use the uh, – one's carbonate and the other one what – what, what is it? Do you know what the difference of the, the rock is, um, Scott? Uh, no, indeed, Tom, mate. I don't, don't claim to be a lithium, a lithium okay. expert, unfortunately. No. I, I, Sorry, mate. I did not. Just one of those things I've forgotten. Um, no, the difference with uh, Min as well is that Wadjina Mine has three production trains each. I think are a quarter of a million tonnes of lithium each. And they're just starting up with one now. And then they'll bring the others on train uh, right. as the price firms or is, as long as it's profitable for them. These guys are at the early stage of, you know, like, you know, just past, like, we've got funding in, we've got a, we've got some potential, uh, whereas Min is positioned perfectly with lithium hydroxide uh, manufacturing with Albemarle as well, because that's where the all the Wadjina output all goes to lith, to Albemarle, and Albemarle's uh, lithium hydroxide plant at Kempington, Kempington is uh, due to come on stream shortly, fairly soon. Um, and that's the, they're capturing the whole process all the way through yeah. up to hydroxide, which is the uh, the uh, nearly finished product going into the lithium batteries. Yep. So yep. I, I wouldn't look past that. And, uh, and <coughs> with mineral resources, you've got a more of a portfolio of commodities as well. Uh, Mark, uh, Justine wants a view on Auto Sports Group. Uh, Justine says, shut up post earnings this year, wondering if this will be sustainable. It's the... Uh, in the retail automotive industry, 42 dealerships, uh, uh, some used car outlets, prestige vehicle collision repair facilities. Um, what do you think of Autosports? Uh, it's not one we've ever looked at. It's, uh, so I've, I've had a look at it for this tonight. Yep. And um, it passes all our filters except for return on equity, uh, which is um, – oh, sorry, return on equity just passes, but return on capital doesn't because they do have quite a high debt load of and. 46% debt to equity. And I suspect that is providing floor plan for the dealers, I guess. I don't know. Scott yeah. may, may know, but, I, but so that may, be, may be, that may be okay. It's on a P of 11, and it's got EPS growth, uh, which is average 9% over the last uh, six years. Not high, really stable, but I mean, is fairly solid. I suppose if you look at it now and say, where is the car market both new and used going forward over the next few years? Is Are we going to have a... I think it's pretty fair to say that the next 12 months at least is going to be very, very strong. Uh, what happens after that is yeah, less um, less known, of course, once we get back to uh, usual. And there's also massive chip implications on um, new cars, and they're difficult yeah. to get. By the way, it's a lot easier to get a new car in Australia than it is in the US. Yeah. Uh, over here, it's everything, all European cars are all well over a year, 18 months wait. Wow. From all everything we've looked at, there's no cars on dealerships. They're empty. All they might have is a few secondhand cars. So for some reason, the US is suffering a lot more than we are. Just by the way. Anyway, it looks it looks uh, okay on our numbers. We're showing a returning about 17% a year uh, on our default settings and 7% a year on a margin of safety over the next five years, which is respectable. Um, other than that, I think you'd have to take a view on whether you think the uh, the lift in the earnings is going to continue for a little bit longer then it's going to drop back i don't know okay scott 
It's a fascinating one. I it was talking about COVID recovery stories. This is one you've got to look at and go, hang on, how does it stay at what I've got is 11 times earnings with a 3.9% yield, given those facts. Now, maybe it is the supply constraints that slow down or, or constrain the, the growth of profit, maybe even literal profit decline. By the same token, you very, very rarely lose money selling a supply-constrained product because you can pretty much set your prices. You can guarantee there's no cars. There's also no deals being done right now. The deal is, well, here's the car over there. It's the only one we've got. Do you want it or don't you? Here's the price. Um, so it's also probably a pretty good time for margins. Now, I don't know how that plays out over the next 18 months or two years, I have to say. But the recovery of the economy, the recovery of new car sales remains. Uh, frankly, the, the growth and the price of used cars, I got some numbers the other day, the price you're paying for a used 2020 Hilux, January 2020, the used price is now higher than the yeah. price you paid new off the lot in January of last year. So, you know, that that's that gives you exactly, to Mark's point, the, the example of what happens when you have a constraint of new supply. The cost of the old supply goes up, plus more people are driving cars because of COVID, fewer people on public transport. It's a perfect storm for a used car dealer, not yep. so good for new car dealers. I reckon 11 times earnings is a pretty good price, I have to say. I don't... Look, this is one of those riskier COVID recovery stories. I wouldn't want to buy it outright and say, I'll sink or swim on the, base, on, the, on the back of one company or one call. But as part of a diversified portfolio, yeah, I actually think this one will beat the market over the next, say, three to five years if that recovery continues. I wouldn't hold it long term. At some point when you get news car sales starting to get peaky again, you want to sell it. I'm not a trader, but this is not when you're going to hold through cycles for mine. It's not one you want to put in the bottom drawer. It's one that looks cheap right now. I think you'll be offered a price that is too expensive at some future point. That'd be a perfect time to sell okay. it. Hopefully, it's three, five years away. All right. We'll have to uh, skip through this final one, uh, chaps. We're running out of time. Scott, Greg wants to be on Carbon Revolution. Uh, they make the uh, the carbon fibre wheels in attributable to automotive and aerospace and industrial use. Its share price has been hammered a bit over the last 12 months. As you can Super see. cool tech, Koshi, um, making a loss for the last two years. Uh, you know, what, what, put, it, put it with the biotechs. What one you hope is successful, under some yeah. circumstances, maybe it is. This is pure lotto ticket stuff. The lower price makes it a slightly better ROI, but if it still ends up at zero, you lose 100% of whatever you put in. I don't think it's going to zero, by the way, but it's got to prove that it can make a buck. Um, yeah. and it's got to have a market yeah. that's big enough to justify it. Okay. Under some circumstances, eventually all new cars <clears> end up with carbon fiber wheels, but you, you've got plenty of time to wait and see if that thesis comes true before you buy. Yep. Mark? Um, yeah, it's only got two years' history. I agree. It is. I think it's a bit better than a lottery ticket because they do have some established uh, clients. They they supply wheels to Ferrari and Lamborghini and so on as well. So, but they're all niche players, but it's high value stuff. But they also make uh, parts for U.S. Air Force for the uh, their new uh, fighter. So I think they make part of the tail section or something for it. So yeah. they, they, they don't talk about that a lot now, which is interesting. So we're not sure whether it means they're not allowed to or whatever, but their earnings at least are on a good trajectory. They went from losing a dollar seven a share last year to 2021. It's now minus 20 cents. So on the current trajectory, they should be making a profit next year. So after about another two or three years, we'll, we might get interested in it. Okay. All right. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, always great to have you. Mark Morlong from Team Invest, safe travels. You heading back to see the grandkids in Seattle now or Washington yes, State? Yes, yep, tomorrow. Excellent. Tomorrow. All right, safe travels. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Go on, you fellas. Thank you. Uh, final thank five you. stocks, uh, 29 metals a no. Um, integrated uh, research, a yes from Mark Morland at Team Invest. Um, a hold from Scott wanting just to wait to see whether it really is COVID that has 
um, that has hit the bottom line there. Uh, Lake Resources are no, uh, Auto Sports are no, and Carbon Revolution are no. So uh, from today, Clinavel um, Pharmaceuticals goes into the calls portfolio. Uh, that's it for our show today. If you've got any stocks you want me to put to our expert panel, uh, put them in an email to us, the call at ausbiz.com.au or through Twitter using the at TV handle. Check out all the calls uh, portfolio. Uh, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, and the big news of the day, of course, is Crown Resorts as it gets to keep its license for the next two years, but under some strict conditions. So is it still a stock to hold on to? Steve Johnson from Forager Funds joins us next for his thoughts. That's it for us for today. Catch you same time tomorrow afternoon, midday Eastern Daylight Time for another episode of The Call. Have a good day.